How long do you like to be held afterwards? All night, right? See, that's the problem. Somewhere between 30 seconds and all night is your problem. I don't have the problem. Yeah, you do. Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog Podcast. I am Brian Olson, and they call me the Mecca of Manliness. And it's only fitting that my guest today is a self-professed alpha female. So, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to our conversation. (laughs) And I must say, this podcast is centered around identifying broken cogs and offering solutions to fix them, whether that be in business, in life, society. But today, it's all about broken cogs in relationships. And that leads me to my guest today, who offers the escape and immediacy of a man cave, the focused attention and results of a therapist, and the compassion and unconditional affection of your mom. And she's none other than Rachel J. Now, Rachel is the connection coach. Her belief is that when one of us suffers, we all suffer, yet healing is available when we experience genuine connection with others. Now, as a certified cuddlist and connection specialist, she's a pro at creating a safe space in her connection sessions and also offers coaching around cultivating authentic relationships. Now, while her techniques apply universally, Rachel specializes in supporting men's mental and emotional health, specifically as it pertains to their relationships. Now, she's developed support programs designed to meet a client where they're at, whether simply looking for someone to listen to and accept them or desiring tools to reignite the intimacy in their relationship. She loves theater, rooting for her Niners and engaging intentionally (laughs) with strangers, but not like a creeper. Rachel, welcome to the show. Hi, Brian. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. You know, I am as well. This is going to be a great conversation. I can already tell. Now, I know, Rachel, that you are a certified colorist. I've never met one before. And I got to tell you, that must be a great pickup line or, you know, an <laughs> well, icebreaker. Well, not as much thing. as you would think. <laughs> no? So you tried it? Uh, well, no. But if you try to put that on like a dating profile, you get a lot of inappropriate sort of <laughs> feedback that's not necessarily where you want it to go because people have misperceptions about what a cuddlist is and does. So yeah, it, it can go very wrong very quickly. <laughs> so it's not as good as a pickup line, but maybe an icebreaker on a first date. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe once there's a little bit of like <laughs> a baseline where <laughs> you've gotten to the point where you actually want to go out with somebody. So there's a little bit of that like barrier already broken that you don't have to go into. No, it's not a front for sex, you know? So you got to have a baseline of comfort there before you go into it. Well, I know you're a professional cuddlist. I'm an amateur cuddlist, right? So (laughs) you do it for money. I do it for enjoyment. What, (laughs) What is a certified cuddlist and how do you actually get certified? So Cuddlist has been around, um, that specific brand and company has been around for, uh, I believe, around five years. And I've been certified for three years. But there are other, you know, platforms and companies that do it. Cuddlist is probably the most well-known. And they have an online certification program. But essentially, you know, what a Cuddlist is, uh, the sort of lay term is professional cuddling. But it is so much more than that because... The foundation of it is really about consent education and expressing and respecting boundaries to be able to have healthy platonic touch needs met in a safe atmosphere, but really allowing the client to feel 
safe in their authenticity and to be vulnerable and to practice asking for the things that they want without any sort of judgment, fear, shame, or rejection, but understanding also that they're not necessarily going to get a yes response, but that yes, then if they get a no, it's not a, a personal rejection, if that makes sense. How often are you rejecting people's asks in these sessions? Uh, not too often because I have a really strong screening process in terms of who, who I allow to have a session in the first place. And so I really don't run into problems, but sometimes people will ask for things and I'll say, thank you for asking, but no, I'm not comfortable with that. We set up a verbal agreement at the beginning that if either one of us is uncomfortable at any time, we, we will speak up and let the other person know. And we do a little warm-up exercise to practice hearing and saying no to try and like take the sting out of that as well. Because for many of us who are pleasers, it's also hard to say no to somebody if they ask for something. So there's a lot of consent education that goes into it. And so that's why I refer to it more as um, platonic touch therapy. Interesting. Very interesting. Who are better cuddlers, men or women? Ooh, that's tough. <laughs> Oh, I mean, in general or in the context of my experience with clients? I can only assume that men need the most work as far as your clients go, but maybe in general? I would say in general, God, it's still tough. <laughs> Women more naturally have that sort of like open nurturing sensibility to be cuddly and give hugs, but men are very cuddly and men really do crave that affection and just something as simple as a hug without any sort of ulterior motives as much, if not more so than women. So men are also really great cuddlers. Nice. But they're not yeah. as good as women though. I think it just doesn't come as naturally to them, but they're, but they're still really top notch. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. We'll move on in a second. I just can't help myself with this topic. What? <laughs> yeah, go for it. No, this is great. <laughs> What's the main reason somebody would seek out a cuddlist? Like for you, from the people that you've seen, what what's the number? I mean, I know there's probably reasons they give you, and then maybe you uncover the real reason. What do you mm -hmm. think that is? Uh, for my male clients, it's I would say the number one reason is um, lack of visibility at home. And what I mean by that is... A lot of times, and this goes into why I do what I do now and, and how everything sort of morphed into what I'm doing now, but what I have found is that oftentimes in relationships that have been long-term relationships, there's a breakdown that happens over time and there are many factors that, that cause that to happen, but essentially what it leads to is the man doesn't feel like he can ask for what he needs anymore from his partner in terms of even something as simple as a hug without being met with, you know, something like, all right, I'll give you a hug, but I'm not in the mood for sex. Or what did you do wrong? What do you want? What are you going to ask me for? You know, so that can happen over time in a relationship where we start to question each other's motives and, you know, we have so many other things going on that it's like, wait, what you're asking for what? So if a man is being met with that sort of a response over and over and over, then he will eventually shut down and stop asking. And so that, that shutting down and not asking anymore leads to deep feelings of loneliness in the partnership and feeling invisible, not feeling seen, feeling neglected. And 
And so I would say the majority of, you know, my male clients who have come to me for the platonic touch sessions, it's been because they want a fucking hug. I mean, I hope it's okay if I say that. But oh, like, wow. <laughs> edit it out if you want to, but it's like, <laughs> you know, it's true. Like that's, that's where things get to, you know, they don't feel like they can even ask for something as seemingly basic as a hug without getting the third degree or, you know, being told preemptively, well, this isn't going to lead to sex. So, yeah. You know what I think the, the issue is? The fact that they're even asking, right? I think women don't want to be asked. Women want the man to take charge. Just do it. I mean, mm. you know, be the leader. Go get what you what you want. I mean, I think all women want to be pursued, right? They want to be wanted. Everybody wants to be accepted. It's in their human nature. A man should go. And I look, I talk to women all the time. They love alpha males. They want the man to take charge and to know. I mean, you all, we've all seen those scenes where you're in a car and the woman's not talking. Hey, what's wrong? Nothing, nothing. And you finally pull it out of them because, you know, they want you to know what they did in you know, that whole that whole situation. But why ask? I mean, come on. You know, isn't that a weakness right there? Mm. If you have to ask, mm. I mean, just go take it, right? No, <laughs> no, definitely not. It's so interesting that you bring that point up because I think there's such a misperception. I mean, there's such mixed signaling and misperceptions between what women say that they want and what women actually want. And then that tends to lead to mixed signals for men, not knowing like, well, am I supposed to just take what I want? But then I'm a predator. And no, if not I a marriage, come on, you're married to that person. Okay. Well, if we're talking about a marriage, do you know, I don't think, I don't think that even women, especially if the relationship has gotten disconnected to a point where a man is being met with a sort of response where it's like, don't ask me for this, you know, X, Y, Z, there's some sort of dissonance happening that a woman is not going to respond well who is feeling that disconnect with her husband if he just comes and takes a hug. You know what I mean? Well, it depends on the woman, right? Of course, totally. Yeah, and if there's a root cause there, obviously you have to fix that root cause before, you know, we, I mean, obviously it's case by case, right? If there's a, a breakdown, you have to tackle what that is. You know, mm -hmm. it could be much deeper, right? But so mm -hmm. as far as the sessions goes with these men, it's because they're being turned away by their significant other. Is that what, or is it because they don't know how to ask people out on a date or they don't, they're awkward when it comes to physical contact and they're trying to, you know, maybe have you guide them along and how to do it a little bit better. Or is it more, well, is it more the fact that they are getting the cold shoulder at home and they need some guidance? All of the above. That's um, interesting. Yeah. It's all of the above. I mean, my clients, my cuddlest clients have been, you know, all range all across the board in terms of gender, marital status, you know, what sort of the root is that has led them to sort of seek this service out. So it's all of the above, really. Now, what happens? There's got to be some cases where there's like a biological reaction happening when, when this goes yeah. down. Really? Has it happened? Sure, it happens. And that's something that, you know, we address ahead of time if it's a concern for somebody that it's a natural physiological response. And as long as it's not acted upon or encouraged in any way, you know, we're able to continue having the session. And so it can be as simple as just saying, you know, can we switch positions? We don't even have to acknowledge that anything bio biological is happening if the person isn't comfortable speaking to that, but we can have a conversation about it if they want to have a conversation 
or, you know, just as simple as like, hey, can we change something else or, you know, put a barrier in between whatever the case may be. But it's about not shaming somebody for that happening because it is totally natural. And, you know, just making sure that that boundary holds firm, that we're not going to do anything to encourage this or, you know, promote it, but we're not going to judge or shame it either. You know, Rachel, this is so fascinating for me because I've heard of this before and, you know, I never knew what it was. So it's great that we're speaking about it and you're really giving me clarity on this. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, no, it's awesome. What what was the driver for you to actually seek this out and become this? Was it a need that you saw that needed to be filled mm-hmm. or that needed to be addressed or was it just a passion where you, you just want to help men? You love hugging people. What do you think? <laughs> um, okay, so I, I am a self-proclaimed hugger for sure. Um, I am definitely the person that, you know, upon first meeting somebody, it's like, oh, well, come and give me a hug. You know, that's normally how I introduce myself to people. Um, so I've always been a hugger. And I've been told that my hugs are medicine. I I will toot my own horn there a little bit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But what really prompted this for me was actually the 2016 election results, because I saw the writing on the wall in terms of what it would do to our national community and really divide people and isolate people. And I was feeling very much devastated and just like this is this is a scary you know circumstance that we're going to be finding ourselves in and I um the day after the election actually I was going to meet a friend for dinner in and I'm in New York I'm in Brooklyn New York and where I was meeting my friend was in Times Square and I don't know if you've been to New York or um, Times Square you know familiar with that area but there are all kinds of characters you know like asking I guess, offering photo ops, you know, for money kind of a thing. So lots of characters. And so you're used to kind of walking through and just kind of ignoring a lot of that. Um, And I was walking through to meet my friend for dinner and I saw a young lady and she had a sign, you know, offering a hug, but it was more than just when I normally see someone with like a free hug sign. It said underneath it, something to the effect of now more than ever, we need to you know, support one another, something, something along those lines. And I read it and I walked by her and then it sort of sunk in and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go hug her. And so I went, I turned back and I hugged her and we hugged for like 20 to 30 seconds. And I felt better afterwards. I felt less alone in what I was feeling in the, in the wake of, you know, already these horrific stories that were coming out about, you know, the fallout that was happening. And, um, and I truly felt better. I felt a little less anxious. My heart rate kind of slowed down a little bit and I just felt less alone. And so that was really the catalyst for me to do something to help other people feel less alone in these super divided times. And, um, ultimately serendipitously, you know, I, I stumbled across Cuddleist and I was like, wait, really, this is a thing. And, you know, I looked into it and, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where it was born from. That's really interesting. Very interesting. What about people that smell bad? I mean, is that, have you ever run into that? When you're, when you're <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you do? Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's clearly stated on my profile and, you know, many other cuddlers have on their profiles 
the expectations for um, sessions, but, you know, bring a clean, fresh change of clothes um, to change into when you arrive, you know, and, and people will stipulate specific hygienic criteria as well. But, you know, occasionally for some people, it's more of a problem than others. And for me, you know, it's humid here in the summer. And sometimes by the time somebody gets to me, there there might be a slight humid residue, um, <laughs> <laughs> to put it as, as gently as possible. But um, I'm not as offended by, by that as, as I think other people might be. You're the so, perfect but catch, Rachel. So I'll tell you, you can hug <laughs> and <you> smell. <laughs> you can have a lot of uh, suitors after this. Uh, after oh, this great. Day. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> what Not about, the intention. No, I know. What about yeah. the, um, you got to, I have to ask about the significant others, right? So you're a wife and you find out that your husband's going to you because you're going to, you know, are they okay with this or is there resentment because of this? What's the reaction from the other side? Well, uh, it depends on the client because, you know, I'll be honest with you, a lot of clients don't tell their partners that they go and see, you know, an outside professional for a hug, you know, because there it does become a very awkward and uncomfortable and conversation and situation potentially. I've had clients who have, you know, had these conversations with their partners and and their partner is just not a cuddly kind of person. And so they understand the need. And it's like, yeah, go ahead, you know. But um, but for a lot of men, there is a lot of shame around the fact that they might need to, you know, pay for this service, um, but also that they that they even need this. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, no. Yeah. So because men are so conditioned to not show emotion and not need to just feel an embrace without it leading to sex, you know, so um, <laughs> it, it becomes a source of, I don't know if pride is right. I don't. Yeah. But it's just it's something that they tend to not, you know, and it can really cause big problems if they do engage in that conversation with their partner as well. And so a lot of clients, you know, don't end up telling their partners. Wow. What a trip. Yeah. huh? You know, and I got to tell you, Rachel, I know the whole lockdown period, so many relationships have really suffered. I mean, some have actually ended. I mean, you've probably seen celebrities who got divorced or broke yes. up, you know, due mm-hmm. to be around each other so much in quarantine. Why do you think this is white? And do you have any clients that have had to deal with issues with their significant others that have been amplified or maybe some of them have just come to light because they've been been locked down together? What do you think? Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think if I, you know, have clients that I know specifically. I do. I can think of like a couple examples where this situation, I think, has been sort of the breaking point for sure. Why do you think that is? Why do you think so many are having issues because they're forced to spend time together in lockdown? <laughs> Well, first off, I mean, not even specific to relationships, but this whole pandemic situation has been so unprecedented and we've all been so unprepared for it. And and it's triggered us in ways that, you know, we didn't know that we could be triggered. And so that's just across the board for everybody. And so I've seen people act in ways that is out of character for them in general, just because it's been such a triggering experience and nobody has known what to do or how to handle it. So that's like the first thing. But on top of that, in relationships that are already strained, it exacerbates 
whatever wounds are already there, you know, that's driving them to be less connected because we've taken away the work environment, you know, an eight plus hours a day of separation that can be reprieve for couples who are in a strained relationship, maybe living as roommates and, you know, co-parenting, but not really in a loving sort of dynamic. Being together and not having that reprieve really exacerbates the problems that are there and not having the same other outlets besides work, but, you know, outings, going to, you know, bars or sporting events or concerts or, you know, all of the things that we used to do to get a break from our other person, they've been stripped away. So it's just like shining the spotlight on, okay, we're together all the time. We've got no other outlets and we're seeing all the cracks and flaws. No, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, it, it rings true more than ever. Now, I know, you know, you talk about helping men become bedroom MVPs, right? Yeah. Now, what does that mean? What, what does it mean to be a bedroom MVP? Well, um, so that specific reference is for a free download that I have available on my website. That's sort of like five, five things that men tend to fumble and do wrong when they're trying to score. And, and so ways to sort of recover from that in future situations. And so in that particular sense, I'm really talking about, you know, for the bedroom MVP, it's about really connecting with your partner in a way that they feel seen and they feel more inclined to get you to that end zone, let's say. What is the end zone? Uh, it's defined by each and everyone who chooses to go into it. So what's the most common end zone? Well, I would say, you know, if we're sticking with sports analogies, uh, home base, fourth, fourth base. Yeah. So is this in for baseball? mostly married people or people <laughs> who are just, you know, struggling with that? They just have no game. It's, I primarily support men who are married and um, most often, you know, have kids because that's another factor that sort of plays into the disconnect over time. But um, the techniques that I use and the way that I hold space for people, it's all universal. So I, I do offer my services to, you know, also um, unattached single men who are trying to navigate dating, especially in a Me Too climate and not knowing sort of like, okay, well, how do I, how do I navigate this whole consent and boundary sort of a thing so that I'm not a creeper, but um, I'm also, you know, I mean, there's just so much gray area in so many different places. So I guess the short way to answer your question is, you know, what I do is for everybody, no, but sure. my, my main sort of demographic is married men. And whose fault is it right between the disconnect between Ooh, the married that's couple? That's a harsh question. Whose fault is it? Damn. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> at the end of the day, it always comes, that's what it comes down to. Right. Mm. So, so the question is whose fault is it for the disconnect? Well, who's mostly at fault? I mean, obviously it's case by case. Right. But if you look at like a, a pie chart and you're looking at a percentage, <laughs> who do you think is more often to blame when there's a disconnect, when they're, they're getting the cold shoulder mm. or when there's, you know, when you, somebody needs to become that better MVP and it's, it's just not happening anymore. There's some type of a disconnect. What do you think is the greatest disconnect and who do you, who do you think more often than not is at fault 
Well, the greatest disconnect is both partners. I mean, it's usually both not communicating what's true for them, whether it be their wants, needs, dislikes, boundaries, desires, values, or not communicating them in a way that they will be well-received by the other person. And both partners are at fault for that. Who's at fault more often than not? I mean, I know you're not going to want me to... I know you want me to point fingers. No, but, you know, I work with one side, but I also have experience being a female seeing the other side as well. But so I can't make a sweeping determination. We don't have to just just who who more than the other. I mean, look, they're both at fault. I mean, we all know that. But if you were to say this one is more at fault than the other one, more often than not, the majority of the time, then, you know, from what you've seen, it's not a sweeping statement. It's just from your experience. Well, sure. Although in my experience, though, I'm not seeing both sides of the same relationship. You know what I mean? So it's like every relationship is a different story. Um, But I guess if I had to choose, you're really twisting my arm here. I would say that the fault, I mean, this is really a tough question because there are so many variables, but I would say that it begins with the, the dating way before we're even in marriages that women oftentimes are not clear about what it is that they want. And often what they say they want is not what they actually want. And so Ah. then it doesn't give men a really the best information to be able to go forward. There you go. See, that wasn't so hard, was it? It was miserable. Why? <laughs> because there are so many variables as to, you know, what causes disconnect and and who who's kind of more in charge of that, you know. So, but if we're going all the way back to the beginning of a relationship, then then I I suppose I would say that. I appreciate your honesty. Thank you so much. <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> where do you where do you think men fail the most in a relationship? Where are they getting it wrong? I would say by waiting until conditions are so bad that the course of action that they take is, you know, harmful to themselves or their family or, you know, destructive in some way and sometimes permanent. Do you think that it's a case by case thing or does most men are this way? I, I think it's all case by case, but I do think that there is a lot of I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, the majority of men kind of being in that position. And there are so many reasons why that is, you know, men, the suicide rate for men is like three and a half times higher than it is for women. And the numbers for alcohol abuse are, I think, three times higher for men than for women. You know, I may have those numbers a little bit mixed up, but it's, it's, there's a huge difference. And the reason for that is because, Men have been taught not to express emotion and not to seek help. And if they do so, then they're, you know, acting like a girl or weak. So men are not encouraged to seek support in the way that women are. And that leads to coping mechanisms that can be really harmful, you know, for everyone. And so that's where I think it is sort of safe to make 
a broader generalization, even though it is, of course, still case by case, that 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 that's how it is. You know, do you find that women often try to change men? And the reason I ask you that is you've all seen those situations where the woman will be talking to her friends and it's, yeah, I know he's this way, but when we get married, it'll change, right? Or he's going to change. You see that happen often or is that kind of a myth? I, I mean, as far as, you know, that, that sort of quote that you just shared. Yeah. I've definitely heard that. Um, as far as if that's often happening, you know, I can't really say for sure. I think it for sure it does happen. I don't know how often that's the case, but you know, when it does happen, I think that it's coming from again that place of not having been able to express authentically what one needs and wants and is important to them. And so then, you know, when we're not able to express those things, we end up resorting to means of changing somebody by ways that are like a lot less favorable, you know, whether it be manipulation or blind optimism and faith or ultimatums or, you know, things like that. And it all stems from not having been clearly um, expressive of what, what the need is. So I, I do believe that it for sure happens that women try to change men. I just don't know how often that really happens. Have you tried to change men? Mm, that's a great question. <laughs> I I guess your clients you try to change them, right? No, I do not. I I hold space for them to be, you know, who they are without any sort of changing unless they want to, you know, come on for coaching and then that's that's not even changing. It's it's about what they're willing to take from it and apply, but I really hold space for people to be exactly as they are and be accepted. But I do want to answer your question, though, about if I've ever ch- tried to change a man. <laughs> um, yeah, I for sure have. How did I know that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because I guess that's how we evolve is by you know our own experiences, right? Yeah, I'm telling you, it's true. Yeah, yeah. I've seen this so, happen a lot, so I just want to get your perspective. So, yeah, well, I'm I'm totally okay admitting that I have definitely tried to change a man or two in the past. <laughs> and how'd that work out for you? <laughs> not so well. Not so well, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love it. They always say a, a zebra can't change their stripes, right? But uh, I've seen change happen. You never know, right? For the right person. We've all seen, I mean, my family, sure. I've had, you know how it is back in the day where, you know, the wife is a devout Christian, the man is a heathen or whatever they call them. And they get <laughs> married, you know, and the, the man converts at some point, right? Or the man quits smoking or, you know, you've seen sure. this. Yeah, it happens. yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it definitely happens, but it's so interesting. It's so interesting. What about yourself? What about, I have to ask this. I have to go there. Go for it. You know, let's say you're in a relationship. Is is it tough for somebody that's, that's in a relationship with you to accept the fact you're hugging other people, that you're mm. getting so deeply involved with other men's issues? Is that, is that tough for somebody to handle? <sighs> yeah, it depends on the man, but I'm very transparent about the work that I do from the beginning. And so it weeds people out, you know, kind of from the get-go if they're not comfortable with it. But I, in my experience, you know, the men that I have been involved with since I've become a cuddleist and, and now moved on to doing the coaching work and everything is that they understand the importance and the why, and they they value that they're getting, <laughs> I don't, I was going to say like, you know, 
the full benefit, I guess, of um, the compassion and acceptance and empathy that I provide to clients, but in a setting where they experience like the full depth of that intimacy. Well, if they go seek out another cuddlist, you know, you're in trouble, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I can only imagine it. You know, you, it's you know, long day of work, honey. I, you know, I would do that for you, but I've had so many clients. I'm just burned out, right? <laughs> you're gonna have to go hug the pillow tonight. <laughs> That would never be the case for me. <laughs> you do you think that you would ever leave it all behind if you met the right person? If you had the right connection, you would sacrifice your profession for love. Well, what profession are we? Are we talking about cuddleist specifically, or what I'm doing? You know, primarily now. Yeah, what you're doing right now. If you found the right mm. person, would no, you? No, because that wouldn't be the right person. Well, how do you know? I mean, you know, you never know, right? No, I know. <laughs> I'm I'm absolutely committed and dedicated to this mission that I'm on to, you know, to lessen the loneliness epidemic in the world and allow people to feel seen and accepted and that's what lights me up. And so if if I meet somebody who's right in every other way and they are not accepting that that is my whole mission, then they are not the right person. It's easy. Okay. Famous yeah. last words, Rachel. We'll we'll check in with you in a little you while. You can hold that... me to that. Yeah. <laughs> they won't make it past go. All right. Okay. <laughs> I've seen too many rom-coms to uh to accept that answer. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, that's understandable. <laughs> yeah, I know for sure. What now I know you know, you primarily support men, which is very interesting. Mm. I want I would love for you to elaborate on that and what that means and why you why you primarily support them. Sure. Yeah. Um, as I you know, sort of mentioned earlier, women have way more resources for support than uh, men do, whereas men do not have the encouragement to seek support. And even though, you know, the topic of mental health has become a lot less stigmatized in recent years, it's still very stigmatized for men. And it is still seen, you know, going to therapy is still seen as like a last ditch effort kind of a thing, or, you know, like weak to go to the head shrinker, quote unquote, you know, that's a term that we used to hear a lot about therapists and men are far less encouraged to seek support. And they also don't have relationships outside of therapy oftentimes to be able to, you know, really feel seen and accepted to where, to where that loneliness isn't happening. Whereas women being more naturally, you know, nurturers and emotionally open, you know, we have girlfriends that we share our deepest, most intimate thoughts with, and we cry together with, and, you know, women will go to group therapy and, or to just one-on-one -on -one therapy and, and men just do not have the encouragement to do so because of the gender role conditioning. And so I primarily support men because it's such an underserved community as far as being able to have support that will make a difference and also, you know, keep them in the home. Because the other part of this is that um, a lot of times when this disconnection has grown so wide that a man is feeling the isolation and the neglect and turns to some of these destructive coping mechanisms, you know, whether it be alcohol or being out all night with the guys, you know, when that used to be an option or, um, you know, drugs or, or even, you know, suicide or 
having affairs. You know, we haven't gone into that yet, but but that's another coping mechanism. And so the intention with what I'm doing is that by being a safe space and professional container, that there won't be that need to, you know, cope in more destructive behaviors. Oh, I love it. That's great. I appreciate that. Now you mentioned gender role conditioning. You know, mm-hmm. I I'm not really familiar with it. I would love for you to just kind of define it and then maybe talk about the impact it has on relationships. Sure. Yeah. Um so you may you you may not be familiar with the terminology, but I I I bet once I start giving examples, it will really resonate. So you'll have to let me know. Um, but essentially from the beginning of mankind, you know, men were like the providers and the hunters, and they had to defend the family and the tribe, right? They had to, they had to be tough. Otherwise, any short, any sort of like uh, vulnerability could mean death. And as we've evolved, you know, and and we've had wars and all of these things happening, still, again, showing any sort of moment of pause. Um, or vulnerability is weakness that could mean death. And so this has been sort of like hardwired over centuries that a man's role is to, you know, defend and protect and, you know, take care of the family or the tribe. And so that is still seen in the way that we raise little boys versus little girls. You know, if a little boy skins his knee, we say like, oh, you're fine. Throw some dirt on it you know, you're fine. Whereas with our little girls, it's like, oh, my poor baby, come here and let me kiss your boo-boo. Are you okay? You know, like it's a very different sort of upbringing. And so for these little boys that grow up being told, you know, like, you're fine, put some dirt on it, don't cry, you know, and then they get around other boys and there's more of that, you know, sort of pack conditioning where it's like, oh, don't be such a girl or, you know, um, and other derogatory sorts of variations of that, it it continues to ingrain that having emotions or expressing emotions is weak. And it's what girls do. And it's not what boys do. And so then, you know, we, m- boys grow into men who then also struggle with being able to express their emotions. So then when we get into relationships, oftentimes, the marriage partner is the one person that it's like, okay, I can finally sort of like let that wall down now. You know, we've made a vow and we are like, this is my ride or die chick, right? But mm-hmm. over time with all these other factors that lead to disconnect, then those walls that came down because one felt safe, they they end up going back up essentially. And that also comes from again, in the beginning, you know, women not really being clear on what they actually want versus what they say they want. Why is that? Why, why does that happen so often? That is, I mean, that's definitely also due to the general conditioning because, um, you know, girls are brought up watching Disney movies where princesses are being rescued by the prince and um, they live happily ever after. And, you know, Oftentimes it's like a rags to riches kind of story. And these are older Disney movies, you know, of course, like I love that the landscape of kids movies are changing that narrative. But for many women, that's sort of the storyline we grew up with, even if we grew up in 
in, you know, quote unquote, feminist sort of households, these are still stories that are being ingrained in us as far as the kind of partner to look for. And more and more women now are saying like, oh, I want, you know, a sensitive man. And this is the biggest one. You know, a lot of women say like, no, I want a sensitive man. I want a man who, you know, can express his feelings and be vulnerable. However, what women actually mean more often than not when they say they want a sensitive man is that they want a man who is sensitive to their needs and will hold them when they cry and will protect them and, you know, be sensitive to their needs, but not in the sense that a man can be sensitive to their own needs. And that's where it becomes sort of this, this, this problem later on. If a man who has felt like, oh, I, I'm a sensitive man, you know, I, I came into this and I am, you know, doing, I think what I'm supposed to be doing, but then he exhibits his own sensitivity, like coming home from work after a hard day and saying, you know, I really had a hard day. I got passed over for this pr promotion or, you know, something and da, 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 like, I really, I needed to, I need to talk, you know, da, da, da. but oftentimes because at that point, the woman who is doing so many other things, you know, because so many women have, you know, careers and also tend to be the primary sort of parent in a lot of cases. Again, it's case by case, but that tends to be just what we see more often than not. They have so much on their plate that the response to the man who is now showing his sensitive side is like, I, I don't have time to take care of another kid. I have enough kids already. You know, I'm not your mom. You know, these are things yeah. that we hear a lot. And so that's a confusing message for a man who came into a relationship like, okay, finally, somebody who said they want a sensitive man and I showed up and I was sensitive and, you know, and, and great, I've got my partner and now I'm, I'm showing my sensitive side and I'm being shut down. So that's where it becomes really a problem, you know, in the early, early stages when women are not really clear on what it actually is that they want in a partner. And maybe, you know, it's, it might even be a lack of awareness that like, oh, you know, if I say I want a sensitive man, what does that actually look like in reality? And am I prepared to also be sensitive to their needs if they need that? then, you know, that breaks down the trust. You know, I have to completely agree with you, Rachel. It's, uh, you know, be sensitive only when it's convenient for me, right? It really just comes mm -hmm. down to, do you think it's what, just being selfish or just not being clear? I don't, I'm not sure how you would define it, but no, I do agree. It definitely happens. I've seen this myself. So you're definitely right on the money there. Mm. And I'm glad, you know, I appreciate you spending some more time. I know we're going a little bit long, but this is such a great subject. There's just, sure. you know, this has been amazing. There's a couple more quick questions here for you. Now, I know when you're communicating with men, you speak through the lens of sports and sex. Mm. Maybe you want to explain that a little bit more. Like, what does that mean? Uh, it's, it's kind of intriguing to me. Yeah, totally. Uh, so coming back to it all ties together <laughs> with the gender role conditioning. So men are not encouraged, right, to talk about emotions or oftentimes don't have language for emotions and what they're feeling. However, it is socially acceptable for men to express their emotions when it comes to sports or sex. Um, so, you know, it's like, I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl last week, but was that only a week ago? I don't know. 
time is irrelevant so. these days. <laughs> but, um, you know, at the end of the game, everybody's hugging everybody. And it's like, it's this total like love fest. You know, we did it. Like, I'm so proud of you. Like, you're my man. Da, 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 and so much hugging that we would never see them do, you know, off the football field. But in the context of sports or like getting excited that your team won or being pissed that your team lost, you know, and, and the rage and all these things. Like for men, it is socially acceptable in the context of sports and sex. And so that is um, what I see as like sort of an access point for men who do not have the language to express their emotions and what's going on to be able to sort of start to get in there and, and start having those conversations. So an example uh, on my website, you know, I use the analogy of being a player on a team, you know, you sign on with this team and you are so committed and so pumped to be on this team. And, you know, you are in it for the ring, you know, like the championship ring. And over time, you know, maybe new teammates came into the picture and you got, you know, put on the sidelines and you're, you've been benched for a while. And maybe now your, your team doesn't even need you, or you feel like your team doesn't need you and you know what it feels like to be benched and wanting to get back into the game and be an active role. And so I use that sort of an analogy with the relationship and, you know, the, the team sense being not only the wife, but also the kids and showing up in a way that, you know, you really can take your team, you know, all the way. Do you think men, when they come to you, it's because they're not getting enough of it and they want it more, or they just don't know how to do it properly? What, what do you think is the number one hangup? Well, define it, not getting enough of what? What do you think? I want you to tell me. What do you think? What is your definition of not getting enough of? The home run, like, like we talked about earlier. Ah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, I do not think that that is the it that men who, who end up coming to me really are looking for, but it's a way, again, kind of defining it in those terms as an access point for a lot of men, because again, for men who don't have the language as far as emotions and being able to say, like, I really need to feel connected to somebody and, you know, have somebody see me, that's really, that's super vulnerable to admit, but to be able to say like, yeah, I want to get laid more, you know, that's a lot more accessible. So it's a language thing, but it's not necessarily the root of what they actually are looking for. Now, I know you help men experience deeper levels of intimacy, right? Mm-hmm. How, just give me like a very quick example of, of how you would do that. Well, it starts with just holding that space for them and allowing them the safety to be able to be who they are and say whatever they need to express and have that be met with acceptance and compassion and not judgment or shame or ridicule or invalidation, which a lot of times, you know, keeps men from actually saying what's on their mind. So, so the first step of allowing them to experience deeper levels of intimacy is like building them up to, to see that it is possible to express themselves authentically and have that be, you know, accepted. And then beyond that, because for some men, it's enough to just have that outlet and that escape to sort of release the pressure valve to be able to show up more fully at home. But for other men, you know, they want more than just that escape. They actually want 
techniques to evolve their relationship and really, you know, build it back together. Interesting. As far as women goes, what are they really looking for in the bedroom? Is it something where the men just can't provide it? That's why they're coming to you and they're trying to figure it out from a woman's perspective. Like, Hey, listen, Rachel, you're Mm. a woman, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you can put yourself in my wife's shoes. Like, what do they want? Am I not providing (laughs) it? Am I dropping the ball or like, what is it? Well, I guess you're going to have to download the five fumbles freebie. Yeah. I was going to ask you what's the number one or according to you, what the number one fumble would be. I don't want to go over the whole thing because I want people to download it. But what do you think? What's that fumble? Where are they fumbling? Not being present. Being present? Mm-hmm. In what mm-hmm. way? I, mean, I would love to elaborate on that. You want me to give it all away? It's just well, a it's just freebie. one fumble. That's one fumble. <laughs> well, it's, it's the main takeaway, really, is it, it all comes down to being present with your partner and involving them in the experience. I mean, you're, how more involved can you be? You'd be surprised. You'd be yeah. surprised. Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah, probably wouldn't. Uh, Maybe your clients would. I wouldn't, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I it's it's about not taking your partner along with you, rather than just sort of going to meet your own end goal. Yeah. So they finished too fast. Well, not necessarily. Or they go first before the other, right? <laughs> that's that's just man it, etiquette, man. You got to let them go first, then you go. Yeah, it's not over till you both get your cookies, right? Um, That's right. Well, <laughs> um, maybe you know what? In a, a great man like myself, who has who's known for my renowned porn star cardio, you have oh, to great. let you have to hey twice before you go. You know what I mean? We're gonna you have to get yeah. We're gonna have to get your wife on the line next time and and have a conversation with her. I'd love to hear her perspective. Oh man, it it would. <laughs> but be, please uh, continue. <laughs> it would be, you know, I'm I'm a humble person. I couldn't do that. My ego <laughs> would get too big. You know. But Got uh, it. so, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I get it. I mean, you know, the whole knock on men is there. They just, it's, it's wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. They're done. And, you know, thanks. They roll over and uh, it's done. Right. No cuddle time at mm-hmm. the end or, you know, the wife just can't achieve it and she fakes it just to end the whole thing. Mm, and that is to, a problem. Yeah. 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 So no, I, I get it. Yeah. But it's, it's definitely more subtle and nuanced than that. And that's why. You know, the the five fumbles really does go into more detail because I have it broken down into quarter by quarter sort of um, way. So it's pretty fun. There's a lot of football talk in there. But um, the main takeaway is it's about really being present with your partner. But um, yeah, even the things that you're talking about, it's it's really more nuanced than that. No, and trust me, yeah. No, I'm I'm an artist, so I get it. So <laughs> yeah. I'm learning so much. <laughs> well, you know, I always tell people, and it's funny too, because men, you know, I used to watch Robert Rodriguez movies, and at the end he would have these cooking classes where he always says, Listen, if you're a man, you know, have three signature dishes, practice them, mm. you know, serve it to people. Because listen, if you're if you are a male and a man and you you can't cook, I mean, not knowing how to cook is like not knowing how to, you know, fill in the blank, mm. right? So, mm. you know, I'm a great cook and that tells you all you need to know. So <laughs> You know what I mean? But as a man, that's your duty. You got to do it. You don't have to make up for my other right, inadequacies. Sure. So, Rachel, it's been great. <laughs> Loved it. This is amazing. Mm, thank any you last so words? Much. Yeah. Any last words of wisdom? Any final thoughts you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap up? Ooh, uh, you know, just really don't wait until it's too late. You know, if you're struggling 
you know, for the men, if you're struggling in your relationship and not feeling seen, you know, find someone safe to talk to. And, you know, whether you do have a really good close guy friend that you can get to that level of conversation with, or, you know, just find a safe space, somebody that you can sort of release that pressure. And, you know, ladies, allow, allow your men to be soft when when they really have the courage in those moments to sort of be soft and ask for what they need. Love it. Love it. Now, Rachel, very last question, just a little bit of a personal question, just to get to know you a little bit better. Oh. So yeah, you're going to be retired. <laughs> very happy. You know, you'll be on your own personal <laughs> island. You can only bring one mm. book, one movie and one album. What would they be? Oh, goodness, goodness. Okay. Um, movie. I'm going to go with soul. I don't know if you watched it yet. It's amazing. Yeah, it's on Disney Plus. Yeah, cool movie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's like I, I that's the first thing that pops in my mind for mind for a movie. Um book would be oh gosh. There's so many. Uh Siddhartha. I'm gonna go with Siddhartha. And let's see, album. Oh, uh, can I do the entire Beatles discography? Sure. Why not? Okay, great. Because, you know, there's so much variation and it depends on my mood, but yeah, anything Beatles. Beautiful. Beautiful. Rachel, it's been awesome. How do people get in touch with you, connect with you, download the book and utilize your services? Sure. Yeah. So people can find me um, on social media, Facebook and Instagram. I'm at Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L-J-A-Y-E.co. And I'm on LinkedIn. Um, Rachel Dash J and my website is www.marriagemvp.com. And when you're there, that's where you can grab that free, you know, mini playbook, the five fumbles when you're trying to score and the recoveries to earn you bedroom MVP. Rachel, it's been awesome. It's been a pleasure. Mm, thank you so much, Brian. I have a it's feeling we'll have to do a part two because there's so much to cover here. Awesome. Have a <laughs> beautiful yeah, rest of the day and uh, let's stay connected. Keep up the good work. Great. Thanks so much, Brian. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.